who have gathered here, whether in person or online, for this retreat. I've been with Ajahn for 18 years now, and he's taught us all that this association with him as a teacher is something that arises based on causes that we've put into place previously. So it's not something that happens without a cause. It's something that uh, does have a cause, which he's taught us many times. And I believe that this is true, that we have done merit in parami in order to have this association with this great teacher in this life. That we've been able to come together and practice together to reduce the suffering in our hearts. And if we think far back, then we could think it's uh, from our past life. We did parami, we built merit. And this is something that's possible. And if we look closer, then we can think yesterday, last week, last month, we put in the causes in order to have this present situation what this means is that we've studied Dhamma before, again, whether yesterday, last month, or last lifetime. We've practiced generosity, virtue, and meditation. And this is the cause that we have done so that we practice together in the present day. So this is something that I personally believe that we've done merit and parami in the past to have this interest in the Dhamma in the present to come study the Dhamma, to develop our hearts to be higher and brighter, to be clear and radiant. And we should know what this pure and bright mind is like. Most of us on this retreat are adults already. So at some point in our life, we've likely experienced the mind that's pure and bright so we know what it's like to have this feeling of rapture, freshness, feeling of happiness. We know it for ourselves. We don't need a teacher to come and tell us what it's like. It's something that we've known directly. And the mind that feels sad or depressed is also something that we've likely known directly for ourselves. Something that we've all experienced before now that as an adult, whether it's sadness or depression or fear, these are all things that we've known for ourselves through our own experience. 
And so we see the Buddha taught that this mind is something that's changeable, it's uncertain. In a single day, the mind has many different moods and sense impressions. When we wake up in the morning, we can feel fresh and happy, like a clean slate. And then we enter into the environment of our daily lives to engage in our livelihood and to live our lives. We speak together, uh, live together with others. And we see that we receive a lot of sense impressions and moods from the environment. It was sometimes we don't know when this mood or sense impression has entered the mind, but these moods and sense impressions change the mind, change it all the time, gradually, bit by bit. And this is something that we're used to in our lives to constantly receive these moods and sense impressions. We become accustomed to it. And then we come to practice and we can know it more clearly. We see that Lumpurnan is taught about this nature of sense contact. For instance, in, a, in our experience, we sometimes have those the experience of sound that we don't like, a contact at the ear with sound. And for instance, the sound of someone critiquing us or criticizing us, we don't like that. Or we see something with the eye, see someone criticizing us or behaving in a way we don't like. So whether it's the eye or ear or another sense door, we have this experience of not liking arise. This gives rise to change in the heart. And if we don't practice, then we meet with this experience that we don't like. And very quickly, we speak or act in an angry way and react very quickly, speaking or acting angrily. But for Dhamma practitioners, when we receive the sense impression and we know it's there, then we try to be aware of it. For instance, with anger, we have to think what is the way to take care of our heart in this situation? How, what is the way to practice such that anger does not arise? Because we see that anger leads to drawbacks and damage to our body and to our mind as well. So what should we do to address this? Or how can we contemplate it to help the situation? What can we do to reduce this in our hearts? Because we see that the habitual tendency of individuals is that we can be angry all day long or sometimes for many days in a row. This has a lot of drawbacks with regard to the mind. The mind thinks about the situation that made us angry over and over again. So this is the mind that doesn't have Dhamma practice to care for it. So one who takes care of their mind has to know themselves, has to know if one is the type to get angry frequently. And we see that the mind that is fresh and new in the morning, it's pure. So then you see, well, at what point did it become angry? How did it become angry? So this is a way to contemplate, to practice with this. 
or another method that we've heard from our great teachers to use in our lives is a way to reduce the damage that arises from anger, which is to be still, not to respond through actions of body or speech to the situation to other people, but to be still first to restrain one's behavior. But for those that are untrained, those with thick defilements, this is hard to do. It's hard to put down this anger. So our ability to manage anger, which can arise very quickly, it's up to our practice. So we've come to practice and we try to develop these skills that we can use in our lives. Once so we practice to have restraint, so that we can live in society and live with others. Because we see that having gathered together with many others living in society, that the speech or critical speech is something that has to arise. It's natural for critical speech to arise. It's one of the eight worldly winds. So we gather together and criticism arises naturally we see that this is just something that happens when people gather together. And so as practitioners, we practice to have restraint, restraint through our body, speech, and mind, to restrain our behavior in this type of situation. And one who's gained some fruits in their Dhamma practice will practice to not respond angrily, but to listen first, and to listen to the criticism and see, well, is this critical speech, is it true or not? Does it have value or not? And so this is a fruit that arises from our mindfulness practice. We don't speak angrily in return, but we listen first, we contemplate first. We think, is this critique, is it valuable or not? Is it useful or not? So one must have mindfulness to contemplate in this way, to know if it's right or helpful, and we can practice and train ourselves in another way. So we use our mind in order to not to make negative karma through speech. So this is something useful that we gain from our Dhamma practice. And we use this as a foundation in our lives. And this is just one example. So when people gather together and we speak together, and it's natural for unpleasant or undesirable sounds or speech to arise. And there's some individuals, their character type is to be soft, and they can receive these thoughts and proliferation and thinking non-stop. And then this makes the mind lack energy and strength, and the mind becomes even weaker more and more. And we can see this in the present, that the disease of depression is very common. And this arises from causes and conditions. And we see that someone with this condition lacks the ability to manage the moods in their mind 
because they are uh, someone who is sick, has the disease of depression. But in the Buddha's teachings, the Buddha Sasana, if we've practiced before, then we have an immunity to this illness. It's as if we've gotten a vaccine for this illness because of our Dhamma practice. Because when we practice, we have more mindfulness. We have mindfulness with all the various moods and sense impressions, such as the mood of depression. In the beginning, it may not be a lot, this mindfulness, but we keep practicing, and we practice to care for our minds. We try to find a way, a way to make these moods, such as depression, to reduce more and more easily, and this is possible. Someone who hasn't practiced before receives a lot of moods and sense impressions, and they become used to it, and they simply can't let them go. So we practice to see this clearly. Because when one hasn't practiced and one doesn't know, and all these sense impressions enter the mind, they get set very firmly in the mind, and it's hard to remove them, and this can make the mind depressed. And then it's hard to make the mind peaceful and gathered in samadhi. So the Kubhajans taught that when this is the case, then it's okay to use modern day medicine to help the mind. And for Dhamma practitioners who've received fruits of practice already, then this can be a great help to their minds. Someone who hasn't practiced won't know this, but for those who have practiced, we're able to know this for ourselves. We have the energy and strength from samadhi. We're able to not, not to think. And we see that what do moods and sense impressions, or what do moods arise from? So when we practice, we see the fruits for ourselves. And when we see the fruits for ourselves, then we have the faith to put the teachings into practice, to have effort. We get accustomed to practicing meditation. Then we're able to reduce the disturbance and depression in the mind. And the more we see the fruits, the more faith we have. The more faith we have, the more effort we put forth. And we have the faith to practice more firmly and strictly, more vigorously. Perhaps in the beginning we sit for just five minutes, then we see the fruit of this amount of meditation. We see that we can get a good peacefulness from this practice. And we see that our mind was that was chaotic and thinking a lot we do meditation, we see that this distractedness of mind is able to cease. We don't follow our thoughts. So we see this fruit of practice for ourselves. Then we have energy and effort arise through this direct experience. We may go from sitting five minutes to 10, 20, 30 minutes, up to an hour, and up to three to four hours in a day. And this is also up to our available time in our lives as well.
So we see that this, our own experience of the fruits of practice give us this effort and energy which comes from our faith. So the great teachers have taught this way and we see for ourselves the faith increases. We see for ourselves the suffering reduces. So in a day we have a lot of duties, a lot of work and this can lead to uh, suffering, whether a lot or a little. And if we have just one person, just ourselves in our lives, then we can say this is five aggregates to take care of. And if we have a wife or a husband, a spouse, then this is ten khandas, ten aggregates to take care of. And one can ask, do you have a child? And for every child, that's an additional five aggregates to take care of. So we see that the more one has like this, the more work there is, the more uh, duty one has in one's life. So it's something we can practice with, but we need mindfulness and wisdom to use, uh, to engage in our lives in a correct way that's in accord with Dhamma. In order to live with others like one's mother and father, one's wife or husband, one's children, to live together with harmony, with helping each other out. One may have a child, one cares for that child. One cares for one's family members according to one's ability, according to one's duty. And if we think properly in this way, then our suffering reduces. We see that parents can have a great amount of suffering with regard to their children. There are many parents who come to the great teachers and ask about their children, saying, why can't my child be this way or that way, be like this or that? And the great teachers teach that we give according to our ability with loving kindness and compassion. The mother and father have their own duty and they do their best to make things better in their own mind. And one benefit of Dhamma practice is this. Sorry, then we practice Dhamma and we get various benefits we have effort in chanting, we sit in meditation, do walking meditation, listen to Dhamma, and we have this strength and energy arise in our own minds. Then we practice more firmly and more vigorously to make our minds stable and firm. This gives rise to strength and energy in ourselves. And we see that the energy of a practitioner is not the same as one who doesn't practice. If we compare it one person who goes out drinking alcohol, uh, going to shows and going out late at night, we can ask, well, the energy of that person, is it different from a Dhamma practitioner? The answer is yes. And the Dhamma practitioner has this energy of merit and goodness, this energy of brightness that makes the mind fresh and pure and bright. And this is an energy that can fix the issues and problems that arise in our lives. 
and we fix these problems by virtue of the parami that we make, the spiritual virtues that we make. And this comes through the practice of giving virtue and meditation. This gives us strength and energy. And we have this energy and then we can teach our children or help our spouse. And we do it with loving kindness and compassion. Then the energy of our speech, of our teaching to our family has this quality of coolness. We don't use the energy of our moods in our speech, but we use mindfulness and wisdom to suggest the right way according to the Dhamma. We see that sometimes the fruits are, of Dhamma practice arise in this way. And there's sometimes, for instance, a faith character type may say they have various types of suffering and they don't know what to do. It's difficult to meditate, difficult to bring the mind to peace. One feels that one has a big problem or a very big mood that one can't manage. One sits in meditation and one can't stop thinking. So if this is the situation, the Kubajans, the great teachers, have taught us to chant in this situation. And one of the benefits of chanting is that we're used to it. We have this faith and effort arise. The more we chant, the more we become accustomed to it. And then even a big problem or a big mood, we're able to fix it with chanting. Because sometimes just sitting in meditation, we can't uh, fix this mood or problem. But we do chanting, chanting the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. We do a chant that we're able to remember. We don't have to look inside of a book. We chant something we've memorized perhaps nine times. And if the mood doesn't go away, then we do it 10 times or 40 times, up to 108 times. And after 108 times, if it still doesn't go away, then we do one, two, three, up to 10 rounds of 108 repetitions of that chant. This is something that Mungpur Nun has taught. It's something that I personally have done before, and it's true that it does work. We sit in meditation, sometimes we have a very strong mood, and we can't seem to manage it. So at this point, we can get up from our sitting, and we can do walking while we chant, or we can chant while sitting as well. We chant to bring our mindfulness back, to pull our mindfulness back to the present, to be with the chanting. And this is something that's easier to do than being with the in and out breathing. So we chant, and then it's said that different chants have their own energy, their own quality. And this is true that there's a type of merit and goodness in the chanting. And the benefit of this is to make the mind cool to make the mind still, to make the mind bright. Well, sometimes we chant and maybe we have a thought arise regarding the problem that was bothering us and a solution to that problem arises. This is possible. We're able to see a way out of the situation that was troubling us. Or if, we, if the problem is with regard to someone that we feel angry with or have some kind of conflict with, 
while chanting, we can spread loving kindness to that person. So we're chanting, we're spreading loving kindness. And perhaps we don't spread loving kindness specifically to that person, but we spread loving kindness to all beings everywhere. And when we spread loving kindness to all beings, the person that we're having trouble with can receive that loving kindness. And this can change their thoughts towards us. Their mind can change to feel more loving kindness towards us as well. And so the great teachers have said that this is a benefit of chanting. And so we see this and we have effort, perseverance with our chanting. We have the faith to make this effort. And if we're chanting like this and we can't sit in meditation, then we can get up and chant. Because sometimes we're sitting in meditation and we feel that we can't meditate. And so we get up following our kilesas, our defilements. And the kilesas pull us to listen to music, to do something distracting, to do something fun. But we take a look at this situation and we see that there is a way to take care of our mind that's more intelligent, that's more effective. We see we're sitting in meditation and our mind simply isn't present for five or ten minutes. And so we get up, and this is up to our parami and merit as well. And we can give chanting a try give walking a try, recollect our chanting. We can change our posture. If we can't sit, we can just get up and walk and do some chanting. So the great teachers have taught like this. They have suggested to look at this situation that we encounter and to study and know our own character type as well. Are we a, an aversive character type, or a greedy character type, or a deluded character type? And based on our character type, there's different meditation objects that are appropriate for those character types, different methods for each character type. And this can help us to develop our minds, to have effort. So we can study about this, listen to various Dhamma teachings about this, and then put this into practice, put these teachings into practice. For instance, for those of a faith character type, it's suggested to do the recollection of the Buddha. And if we're having trouble, perhaps feeling depressed, or having difficulty meditating, we can also look at a Buddha image, look at an inspiring statue or image, for instance, the Buddha image here at Wat Mapjan in the meditation hall, we can gaze at it with faith. And sometimes something strange or miraculous may occur, that the mind suddenly feels full and content, feels at ease. The mind that was once agitated becomes a mind that's peaceful and at ease. This can happen by looking at the Buddha image, looking at the statue then the mind feels full and content. This is the power of the Buddha, the benefit of the merit and parami that the Buddha built. So we have faith with that. 
And we see that it can give rise to this experience of contentedness of heart. And so for a faith type, this is an appropriate method that can cure the moods in our heart. Because to cure the moods is something that's not easy to do. So this is a benefit of Dhamma practice. And this is something that the great teachers have taught, that Venerable Nun has taught to help us. And when we do it, we can see the fruits of this practice for ourselves. He's also taught about the experience of feeling disappointed with one's Dhamma practice. Because some people have the goal that they don't want to be born again. They have Nibbana as their goal. But we have to realize that these fruits of practice and these goals arise according to causes. If we hope for a lofty goal, we have to have a lofty effort as well. And some people aspire for heaven, the wealth of heaven, and they think of the merit and goodness that they've done, and they feel happy about this, and then they are willing to be born again. Others wish for a healthy, incomplete human body with a good family, with a brain that works well, that's able to think well. And some have hopes that are more close to home, for instance, hoping for less suffering during their day to reduce the suffering in their daily life. For instance, some teachers teach that when you wake up, you aspire not to be angry in that day, not to hurt or harm others, to chant, to recollect in the day, to have restraint in one's body, speech, and mind, not to get angry. And thinking a bit further than this, one can see all the days and nights that have passed by, how have I done with this practice? And one can recollect this and to see what areas one should address or improve on in the future, what areas one should apply more intention to in the future. And then we pull our minds back to the present. And when we see the fruits of Dhamma practice, then this gives energy and strength to our minds. And when I listen to these teachings for myself, I think that realizing arahantship or realizing stream entry, cutting the three fetters of personality view, clinging to rites and rituals and skeptical doubt, my personal thinking is that this is something difficult to do. And arahantship is even harder. So this is just my opinion. So we have this firm intent and we practice to put in the causes. To know the truth of the Buddha's teachings, not to be born again, to realize Nibbana. But we recollect this and we see in the present our intent and our ability. We see to what level our effort is and how much effort we need. It's something we feel we can do, but it's also up to our samadhi, 
And we see that to develop firm and stable, deep samadhi, this is also something hard to do. To develop apana, one-pointed samadhi, it's something that needs time and needs effort. But in terms of samadhi, it's not just one level. There's also upajara, neighborhood samadhi, and kanaka, momentary samadhi. So we have effort and mindfulness and wisdom with these goals. And sometimes we reduce our goal and we see that this reduces the pressure on ourself. And then when we have less pressure, we have more energy, more strength of heart to put forth effort. And then we can see the fruits of Dhamma practice for ourselves. So we have this faith in the Buddha's teachings. We have this faith that arises and it can arise automatically when we see the fruits for ourselves. Then we have more effort. We set aside time for Dhamma practice to sit in meditation, to walk, to sit, to listen to Dhamma, to come together like on this retreat. We gain more faith and thereby more effort and we see the mind become brighter, have more faith, effort, and mindfulness. And we see that now we're Dhamma practitioners, and before we may have drank alcohol, have gone out late at night, and so on, but now we practice Dhamma, cultivate mindfulness, and we practice to do this every day to make the mind better every day, to give rise to mindfulness. And we see that samadhi comes as a pair with mindfulness because when we have effort in our mindfulness practice, then we sit meditation more and then we have more samadhi arise because of this effort to sit. In the past, we may just have had a little samadhi, and then we sit longer, we start to become more peaceful. So we see it's up to our effort, and we become used to it, it becomes easier. And when we become used to this sitting in meditation, we can do it more and more, then it, the mind develops more and more the faith, the effort, the mindfulness, the samadhi become well established. The mind can become still. And in the end, all these qualities ripen in wisdom. This wisdom is something we get through our practice that's able to cure the problems in our life of all types. We have this wisdom, which we can call an all-around knowing, which is able to cure the problems in our minds So we train our minds like this not to fall into unwholesome or negative karmas. And we see the way to reduce negative karmas or unwholesome behavior quickly. And then we think of the goodness that we've done. And then more wisdom can arise. And we care for this quality of goodness and wholesomeness. And if we haven't or types of merit that we're not used to doing, wisdom will teach us 
the way to give rise to more merit, higher merit in our heart to do it more. And this merit and goodness is something that comes back to us. We become accustomed to it. And for instance, a mother and father, how should they relate to their child, teach their child? How should a husband relate to a wife? How should a wife relate to a husband? How does a child relate to a parent? And so on. One understands how to conduct one's affairs and one's relationships. One realizes one should not throw away one's parents and discard them, but to take care of them. And after they pass away, one practices to dedicate merit and goodness to them. This is something up to us that we're able to practice to benefit others. So we see this merit, this energy of merit is something that can arise in our hearts that we can share. So I offer my rejoicing, my anamodana with all of you who have put in the previous causes and conditions to come practice the Dhamma together here, whether here at Wat Mapchan or in various countries that we've gathered together online. This is the parami of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha of the great teachers, Venerable Ajahn Chah, Venerable Ajahn Anand. And this parami of the great teachers of the Triple Gem, it's something that you all have a share in, you all have a part in. So may you know and see the Dhamma according to the teachings of the Buddha. And in the end, you can realize the truth for yourself. So may you have a healthy body, may you have mindfulness and wisdom in your Dhamma practice to reach your goals and aspirations. So may you grow in blessings, may you grow in Dhamma.